Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, and put this whole thing into context, which is badly needed. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me nicely, please, at Jim Kramer. Ever since the Fed lowered the boom on us last week, and that's what they did, I've been telling you that we need to get a lot more cautious. We have to be more concerned. Now, suddenly, everyone else is feeling the same way. Dow plummeting 832 points. S&P plunging 3.29%. NASDAQ going into a vertigo-inducing 4.08% nosedive. There is panic all over the place, especially in technology and the industrials. The only stocks that managed to hold up at all today were the ones that thrive when we go into recession. Hey, they're telling you something. It's the staples. Even as many of these companies aren't exactly actually doing all that well. Tech was especially hard hit. Now, I am concerned that the sell-off there isn't done. Because there is genuine weakness in the semiconductor world, and that is at last spilling over to all sorts of cloud, software, and hardware companies, including, of course, Fang and Apple. And those sell-offs, while exaggerated today, could have more room to run. It was tech's worst day since 2011, and in some cases, not that many, but some, it is getting overdone. And you must not be blind to opportunities. Volume was 10 to 1 on the downside. And by the way, that is a ratio that the late, great CNBC anchorman, Mark Haynes, a good friend, always told me should make you more positive. He always said it was a classic sign of the crescendo in a sell-off. When everyone's terrified, justified or not, you know what I like to do? I like to step back for a second, get a battle plan going, pull out the mad money sell-off playbook, help explain what's happening, what it will take for the pain to end. Spoiler alert, I don't see it ending anytime soon unless we get some major concrete changes. There's more on that in a moment. So why are we getting obliterated here? Listen, even when the economy's strong, I try to tell people, because I've been around a long time, it can be fragile. And that's why the Federal Reserve needs to be careful not to overshoot when it tries to raise interest rates back to more normal levels, which I understand it has to do, but it shouldn't be doing this fast. They could easily make it too expensive to borrow money and trigger a slowdown. Think about the proximate cause of the Great Recession, will you? The Fed repeatedly used the sledgehammer of rate hikes to stop housing, but they didn't check with the bond market professionals who could have pointed out that we were about to go over a precipice. If the Fed had been paying attention to the data, they would have stopped tightening and allowed the economy to cool at its own. With a more clued-in central bank, we might have had a minor financial crisis instead of the banking apocalypse we actually got. And that is exactly why I screamed... They know nothing! Eleven years ago, they were totally clueless. Now the current situation is not nearly as dire because the credit markets are cooler. We're okay. But even though we have amazing 3.7% unemployment 
and robust GDP growth. The forward indicators suggest to me that things are deteriorating. And in some cases, like in construction, as we learned from gigantic industrial builder floor this very evening, it's in rapid decline. And the Fed doesn't seem to know this. That's why we're getting hit. We'll keep getting hit because the economy is nowhere near as strong as Fed Chief Jerome Powell seems to believe. It can't withstand the mindless hammering that he's going to give us. They know nothing! When Janet Yellen was running the Fed, she took a data-dependent approach. She cared about the nitty-gritty. She did the work. Last week, we learned that Powell, the new Fed chief, is no Janet Yellen. He's ready to call for multiple rate hikes blindly, regardless of the data, because he believes the expansion is so strong, so strong enough to handle it. As my former Cudlow and Kramer co-host Larry Cudlow, now chief economic advisor to the president, would say, with all due respect, sir, we do not want to repeat what just happened a little more than 10 years ago. Stop the madness. Now, how can we be so sure that Pal is wrong? Because I look at individual companies to get a sense of individual industries and many different industries and many different CEOs. And right now, they are not painting a pretty picture, regardless of what that employment was number, that number last Friday. They are not. The fact is, I do have a better handle on the situation than the Fed does, just like in 2007. Oh, I hate to so such hubris on this show or anywhere or at home. But I am sick and tired of a Fed that reverts to a non-rigorous, non-homework-oriented approach every time things look good. It's like they unlearned all the lessons of the Great Recession, and it is and it will be shameless. Housing is being slammed in reverse because mortgage rates have climbed to 5%. We aren't seeing a lot of homes trading. You know what that is? That's a classic sign that we're about to get a big break in, break in prices. That's what happens. Trading stops and then boom. Yep, in many areas of this country, especially where areas where prices have run up in the last few years, your house is declining in value. I'm sorry to tell you that. I'm sorry, but that's not the time to raise rates. Second, we've heard from a bunch of companies, companies that you probably don't even follow, but I live and breathe. Companies like PPG, companies like a little outfit called Trinzio, outside of where I grew up. Very big plastics and chemical company. These are huge suppliers to the auto industry, which is a big, big industry. And they've just hit a wall. There's way too much inventory in the system worldwide. Prices are coming down. I saw some guy say I was wrong about this. And you know what? I wanted to say to him, but I'm too much of a gentleman these days. That was easy. Do you even have a clue? Why do you think Ford and GM keep hitting multiple year lows? Because they're doing well? Third, lending has slowed in this country, particularly construction lending, because prices for all sorts of properties are coming down. And businesses are having a hard time expanding. Because there's not enough demand to make it worthwhile. Yes, it's hard to find employment, but can we pay people a little more? You can find them. When the big banks start reporting on Friday, I think we're going to hear that loan demand has fallen off. By the way, interest rates were. <laughs> Did you see interest rates today? Yeah. You know where they were? Because of the flight to quality, interest rates went down. Fourth, the basic building blocks of the economy, things like liner board, polystyrene, are coming down in price. You need to know these things. I'll tell you about them. No one ever seems to notice this kind of telltale sign of the slowdown until it's too late. You want a more obvious tell? How about the developing glut of semiconductors, people? That was flagged by Micron not that long ago. Do you know we have way too many chips? And the glut will only be exacerbated as the Chinese economy continues to slow down. That's why I still don't trust the semiconductor stocks. We sold them for action alerts when the club. I don't even trust NVIDIA and AMD right here. I think they're too high. Fifth, speaking of China, the trade skirmish is getting ugly, almost like a Cold War now. Tariffs are starting to hurt our economy. They're really hurting China's economy. That's the price we need to pay to level the playing field with the Chinese. I agree with the strategy, but there's no denying it hurts the stock market. The paint's not over. It's collateral damage. I accept that. 
Sixth, the dollar keeps rising, in part because our interest rates keep rising. And that's bad news for any American company that does a lot of business overseas. And that's one of the things we're going to hear about endlessly when they start reporting. And that's including Staples. Unfortunately, the Fed's ignoring this list, which means we could have a lot more days like today. Even as I did see some bargains being created, and some of the faster-growing non-semiconductor tech stocks at the end. They're really thrown away. So what would turn things around? How do we stop the torrential downpour? Well, there's ways. May not be the ways you want. First and foremost, Jay Powell needs to walk back his comments about how he's going to willing to even overshoot with the rate hikes in order to cool down the economy. Like many central bankers, Powell is pathologically afraid of inflation. He sees an 80 cent increase in wages out year over year, the dreaded specter of wage inflation. And it makes him want to slam on the brakes, maybe even regardless of the cost. If he were more data dependent, he'd realize those rate hikes are coming too fast and too furiously. The problem is President Trump keeps putting Powell in a box by saying what he did today, which is exactly what I'm saying. All right, well, I'm just a TV host, but he'd be the president. So now I think Powell feels the need to dig in his heels and talk about the dangers of being too soft for inflation. Call his minions. Tell them they should be more worried. Tell Kramer to know what he's talking about. You know, tell Kramer that they know nothing. he's wrong. Shame on them. I don't want 2007 again. You don't want it either. Second, oil needs to come down. We created a shortage with the new sanctions on Iran. We don't have enough crude in the country to make, make up for the shortfall. Oil doesn't come down. There's no saving the industrials and the transport, transportation from the commodity inflation. That's what we're going to have. Throw in the modest wage inflation I already mentioned, and you get an ugly year-over-year margin squeeze, which causes investors to head for the hills. They headed for the hills today. Third, believe it or not, we keep hearing about transportation bottlenecks. Do you know the issue here is safety regulations that limit the number of hours truck drivers can spend on the road each week? Believe me, I get why these rules exist. You don't want people driving on 18 wheelers with no sleep. But now that these rules are in place, the trucking companies really need to start hiring some younger drivers to make up the difference. If that happens, we can stop fretting about the rising cost of the supply chain and transportation. Finally, we could use a ceasefire in the trade skirmish with China. Doesn't matter which side blinks as long as we get some reassurance that things aren't spinning out of control. Boy, are we ever not getting that. Instead, what we're getting is a lot of hot sauce spilled right on it. Here, man, this is what we're drinking, right? Smoking. Listen, there's another way whole things can work out here, too. It's very simple. Don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the tape. When the Fed tightens, you need to accept the fact that the stock market is going to go down if it tightens too aggressively. And it is going down. And it makes sense to do some selling. I, I will admit that it's hard to find workers in the country, especially with the tight immigration enforcement we have. I know Powell is worried about full employment. I get that. He wants to slow the economy to control it. My advice, be careful what you wish for, partner. You just might get it. The bottom line, look, nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. We did some for a charitable trust today. Actually, we, weren't, we did not put money to work today. We're probably going to do that tomorrow. But I wouldn't be surprised if we get an oversold bounce in the next few days, and it's going to give you a better chance to sell if you're really in a panic mode. However, that doesn't mean the bounce will last. As we come down, though, some opportunities may be worth nibbling soon for the long term. I wouldn't be surprised if you get an even better buying opportunity down the road. Don't be a hero. I sanction, sanction picking at some of the fast growers tomorrow. Nothing aggressive. It's not worth it. Jared in Wisconsin. Jared. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Um, it looks like this quarter is where uh, high interest rates and uh, trade problems are going to come to the fore- forefront. Do you right. think that the market today and maybe in the next couple of days <laughs> is uh, baking in the anticipation of lower guidance into the fourth quarter and beyond? Also, yeah. do you think that when the earnings reports do come out, that this week's sell-offs may soften 
the re- market reaction? Well, no. I mean, look what happens. It doesn't really matter. If a stock goes down ahead of a, a disappointment, when you get the disappointment, it doesn't go up. It gets just gets in the penalty box, goes down some more. My experience is this, okay? My experience is, is that there'll be bottoming in slow motion. The first stocks that bottom will be the drug stocks and the staples because people feel pals throwing us in recession. The second stocks will be the industrials that have gone down so much that their buyback starts, starts uh, holding them in, okay? And then the third will be the fangs of the world. But the fangs, you have to be in there when it happens. Why? Because when they move, it is just... That was easy. They fly. As I always say, okay? Oh, first we're going to go to Mike in California. Mike in California? Mike? I don't... Kramer, Mike Hick here from Pacifica, California. I'm wanting to know about uh, Dropbox. It seems like it's held its own today with the rest of the tech sector taking a bloodbath. What, what do you think? Well, I mean, look, the stock got upgraded today. It's down. I mean, it's been cut in half from where it's high after uh, right before when it ran up for the quarter. You know, the problem with this one with Box is that there's so many stocks that are really high quality right now that have been pummeled, too, that we do want to go a little bit higher quality. As I told people in, in, in like, the t- I don't know, 15 club bullings we issued today. I prefer Amazon down 300 points. Maybe Amazon goes down 500 points. But Amazon's here to stay, and it's worth a lot more than it's selling for. But it may be worth even more than it's selling for a couple days from now. How about a longer-term view? I think it could work here. As I always say, no one ever got hurt taking profit. But if you are able to take a longer view, I think you can start buying some high-quality stocks beginning tomorrow. And then wait it out as we get more oversold. Take your time. Not one level. May have money tonight. Despite today's declines, can you count on activist investors to make you money in Starbucks, PPG, Campbell's Soup? Don't make a move before you hear my take. Then on a day like today, you know what? You want to hear. Let's talk, right? I want to hear. You want to hear. Let's open the phone lines, Cray America. And, of course, the tweets, too. I want to help you navigate through this sea of red. This is only about my 30th so-called crash, okay? And as rates weigh on this market, what do you should be worried about? I'm going to talk to one of the top players in real estate business. Knows a lot more than we do, so stay with Craig. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to MadMoney at CNBC.com, or give us a call at one eight hundred seven four three CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. Oh, we got to catch your breath here. We're trying to bring on people who really have a more breadth of experience than a lot of people because it's an important day. It's the day where the Dow had its worst performance since February. Dropped 832 points. There's a lot going wrong at the moment. But the fundamental issue is that Wall Street's worried about a Fed-mandated slowdown. One of the places we're seeing that is in construction and lending. When interest rates go up, you tend to get a slowdown in these two areas. I think that's what we're seeing. 
But there's a lot more to it. I want to check in with a real estate investment trust that has finger on the pulse of these industries, Starwood Capital, privately held parent of Starwood Property Trust, STWD. Wow, this stock's been slammed. It's got a 9.2% yield. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. This is value. But Starwood Capital has some particular issues that we got to talk about and some great insights because they just don't own real estate. Main business is actually financing. They lend and invest in all sorts of properties, which means they're perfectly poised to tell us about the state of the industry, even turbines. So let's dig deep with Barry Sternley. He's the chairman and CEO of Starwood Capital Group, who's one of the top experts in the field, get a better sense of how the real estate world is doing and how the lending world is doing. Mr. Sternley, what a delight to have you on a day like today. Barry, have a seat. Well, we're very lucky because uh, I think you know more markets than uh, pretty much anybody that are important and are on the line right now. And your conference calls are brutal, brutal because of the humility you show and how hard you are on yourself. You've got a company that I think has more than enough coverage to have a 9% yield. Makes no sense to me. And in this environment, rising rates, tell people why it's compelling value, because I sure think so after I've read through all the decks. In a day the Dow's down 832 That's points, so you'd like to earn a 9% dividend yield. Actually, it's interesting. We started the company in 2009, and today it's the largest in the, in the country. It's got a $15 billion asset base and, and uh, is very diversified. So we have a very safe dividend yield. In fact, as you mentioned, we're a lender. We own assets also, but we're the largest commercial lender that's not a bank affiliate in the United States at the moment that's publicly traded. And we have like uh, 62% LTV. So property values can fall 40% before we have any impairment to our loans. Well, that's important because someone asked me today, what's, is this like 2007? No. And I said the loan to value, but I was thinking of your company because yeah. you're pretty secure in what you lend. Yeah, 62% loan to value. If we were, I was, I was asking one of my guys today, I said, if we were just a, $7 billion loan book, and we were, what would you be able to finance that package, 62% LTV? They said that would be like one and three quarters over LIBOR, like three and a half percent, we pay you nine. Right. But supporting that, about a quarter of the book is actually fee assets. We own apartments. We own low-income apartments financed for 17 years with fixed-rate debt, so there's no risk of refinancing, and they're earning like a 14-yield cash-on-cash return. We have like a two or $300 million embedded gain in our equity book. So that's a couple dollars a share on top of the book value. So we've actually never understood why the stock trades here. What's interesting to me is the equity market trades us like, uh, like we're going but out of business. The bond market knows, bond market which loves us. <laughs> and the well, bond market is historically much The credit guys are the smartest guys. They do much more work. They now, do one of the things that, But you also have a lot of insight in terms of what's going on with the government. Yep. Um, you actually mentioned in that most recent conference call that you said that steel has gotten so high that it's almost like it's not worth it to build. That's, That's something true. that people don't understand, including perhaps our Fed chairman. Well, uh, construction costs are rising for both commodities and yeah. uh, labor, right? And, and it's, labor is scarce. The housing market's feel it taking on the chin, right? right. Between mortgage rates and, and the cost of construction that you see starts coming down. The Look at a 62% LTV. The V is based on the value of the assets. If it costs more to replace, right. the actual V is going down. Right. See, that this is what the, but maybe the Fed doesn't seem secure. to know that. Yep. It's almost as they think that it's still going like this. But in your conference well, call, you make it very clear that values have peaked in a lot of areas. Actually, we don't think so. No, but you did the Manhattan. You said in Manhattan. Oh, okay, that's true. In high-end residential, high-end residential, I should be more specific. High-end residential, your apartments on both coasts in the big blue cities of New York, San Francisco, even Seattle, rents in the A stuff are coming down. Right, that's what. But we don't actually, you know, our exposure as a lender is mostly um, office, 32% office, and that's actually done pretty well across the country. And the other thing is the book is all floating. So if rates go up, I think we get hit. 
With the residential REITs where they, are, uh, where they have a mismatched book, they have lend long and they finance right. short, we don't do that. We are match funded and we're all floating. So if rates go up, we actually make more money. And that's important for people to understand that the, a lot of REITs are the opposite right. when they get hurt. Now, Eddie Lampert. Looks like they're filing bankruptcy at last. Uh, you are no stranger <laughs> to the shopping, malls. <laughs> yeah, the shopping malls. Uh, you talk about how, look, it takes a little while to get a Dave and Buster's in there, but you need to have anchors that people go to. Yeah. Is this a positive or negative for the mall world that that company is, uh, could be bankrupt? Uh, probably a net positive. Wow. So in our malls that we own, we don't have a large one, nothing. We 3% of the assets of the right. property trust are in, the, are in malls, are retail. Not even in malls. But... In our private business, we have some mall exposure. We own some malls. The income that comes near the Sears store is 3% of the mall's income. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be in front of the Sears because there's nobody in the Sears. Right. So right. we take it back and make it an apartment building or a David Buster's or a Kidzania or one of the other uh, theater. So honestly, I mean, uh, it's good for the owners to get on with this. Right. And, and we'll see what happens with pennies, too. But interestingly, they will reorganize. Right. And a lot of our stores, they're even Sears stores doing $30 million. They'll just chuck out the bad ones, and then they'll use this as an opportunity to rescale their company and, and try to restructure their debt capitalism. and get some. Yeah, One the, way, th- the well, way capitalism now, works. Right. Now, let oh, me you're ask from you. from New England, right? We, <laughs> had, we, we had Caldors. We've had. Oh, my God. Ames, Bradley's. That's capitalism. Right. Now, uh, any words of wisdom to Fed Chairman Powell, whom I, don't know does, I know does watch the show? I, you know, I, what people understand about the tariffs is you're going to see their impact, I think, in the first quarter of next right. year, right? Because the inventory was here. It's on the shelves. It's in the warehouse. It was bought without the tariff. So you're going to have a latent inflation pressure in the mm-hmm. market, which the Chinese are trying to deflate by right. knocking their currency down, um, which Mnuchin said yesterday, don't do that. Right. doesn't mean they won't continue to do it. Right. So they knock the currency down 25 and 25 percent tariffs. It's flat, right, to the consumer here. But I think the Fed is going to have to be careful. The economy is not quite as strong as the number indicated. And they, they okay, have- can I just say, I feel it's only you and me. That's probably right. But we're right. Yeah. That was soybeans and commodity restocking, 4.7. Right. You and yeah. I are right. Yeah. And this idea that this economy is red hot is rear no. view mirror. I've been in a couple of investment conferences where I, the, the yield curve really bothers me. The fact that you can borrow two years and 30 years, pretty much, it's flat, right? It's flat. Yeah, that's not what we're used to. No, it's not what we're used to, but usually it's a signal of a downturn. I think it is a signal of a downturn. People think if rates go up too high right. in the short end, there's a competition for capital, and the economy will roll over. So, sadly, for there's another problem you have. The $300 billion stimulus package that right. they passed on top of the tax bill, they're not going to be able to do that again next year. No. So you're so going to lap against uh, a year over year. It's going to be tough. And, Thank you. And, Thank you. you know, I just needed to hear that. I mean, I love people <laughs> saying, listen, they've got to put the foot on the brake. I think you're on a little, they, little more expansive view. That. Maybe we're just getting a little older. Experience. Well, I don't call it old. Okay, I like that. <laughs> That's Barry Sternlich, Starwood Capital Group Chairman and CEO of Fed Chairman Powell. I think you should listen. They have money's <laughs> back yet for the break. I think the Fed is uh, making a mistake. They're so tight. I think the Fed has gone crazy. So you could say that, well, that's a lot of safety, actually, and it is a lot of safety, and it gives you a lot of margin. But I think the Fed has gone crazy. Wow, the president's got a point. They know nothing! They know nothing! I just wish you were maybe a little more subtle about it, like me. 
Hey, he sacked Janet Yellen, who, who wouldn't be approaching things like this. But it's too late now, Mr. President. Anyway, on a brutal day, and it was brutal. What's the best plan of attack for tomorrow, which is what we should care about? Stop licking our wounds here. If you have some spare cash or if you're thinking about putting some long-term money away at the end of the year, maybe you pull some of it forward. That's what I did today for my kids' index fund. It's my maladone stock. And yes, after this trashing, I am sanctioning some nibbling. That's right. On a day when volume was 10 to 1 on the downside, I am okaying small buys of some of the great stocks that we have followed and talk about, the big generational changers, the cloud kings, the fangers. Maybe just pick one or two, okay? That's what I'm telling club members of ActualWorksPlus.com. We built up a big cash flow. We were even locking in some profits at the beginning of the day because I told you I didn't like the market. But uh, the time to start buying may be upon us slowly but surely because now everyone's getting upset, right? Now everybody's panicking. A vicious correction is indeed a terrible thing to waste. Remember, you got to think a little longer term. However, we have to understand that companies will not be as bullish as they were because of the tariffs, because of higher interest rates, because of the consequences of full employment, because of margin squeezes, and a host of other things. So as I have been saying, we have, will have to be a lot more selective in any industry. And while it's, I think it's okay to start buying small, remember, your first buy may not be your only buy. And buy quality, please, and nothing less I'm not saying the bloom is off the rose. I am saying that the market's beginning to reflect a lot of negatives. And when they're all reflected, we can be more aggressive. They aren't yet. But let's do some noodling together. They think maybe there aren't some opportunities that we should be, we don't be blind to them, right? Uh, and concerns that we should worry about maybe that we're not worried enough about, especially once the Fed seems, uh, let's say, to uh, be focused more on the rear view than on the forward. So let's take some calls, figure out how to approach this thing together as calmly, as intelligently as we can, Remembering that we've been through 2008 and uh, came out on the other side. Let's go to Mike in California. Mike. A big thank you for helping me not panic. Booyah, Jim. Well, you know what? I, I panicked. I, I, in Confession of a Street Addict, I panicked on October 8th in 1998. And I never well, that's forgot. That's part of my question, Jim. Okay. CNBC reported that several hedge funds had been closing. And in that terrific tome, you had a whole chapter on October redemptions. Yes, it did. Don't you think that there's a connection with that and the recent sell-off? And would it help traders like Goldman? Thanks, Jim. You know what? You're right. I felt today there was a program and there was a liquidation program, and it didn't end. But, you know, but then the selling accelerated at the end of the day. That typically is not liquidation. That's been done by one. So I think you're right. Uh, it would not help. Look, my chapter trust owns Goldman. I'd love to be able to say it'll help Goldman, volatility help Goldman. But what the only thing that would help Goldman is if Goldman delivered better earnings. And if they delivered better earnings, the stock goes higher. Worse earnings, and it heads toward book value. Chapel trust can't believe how low that stock is. All right, why don't we go to Doug in Minnesota, please? Doug. Hello, Jim. I'm speculating on symbol LL, Lumber Liquidators. They're so, they have a soiled past, but I think they've cleaned up their act. They're adding 20 new stores this year, growing revenue. Uh, they're also up 1% today when the market's down 3 uh, But they have added $20 million to the revolving debt, so I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah, Doug, I got to tell you, on down days like today, I look at a stock like Home Depot. Now, I don't like housing. We know that. But I look at a stock like Home Depot, 106. Now, it was down to 92 when they reported the so-called bad quarter. But I'm looking at the Home Depots of the world, and if they're going down a lot, then I got to wait and rather buy, buy Home Depot if it gets back to where it was when it reported the quarter and not do LL. Uh, but that's great thoughts. So let's go to Dan in Michigan. Dan. Hey, Jim. I'm a National Earth member and I want to thank you for all your guidance. Thank you. See, how about the 12 bullets we wrote today? It's endless. <laughs> the VIX has gone parabolic, almost hit 23 today. Yes. How high do you think it may go and how long do you think this sell-off will continue with the VIX at an elevated level like this? All right, just a great question. I have, uh, you know, I, I got I to gotta tell you, Dan, here's my problem. 
I'm not a VIX expert, and I, I am a stock guy, but let me ask you a question, because I think this is really important. Um, did you see anything today, like I did, where 10 to 1 minus 5, where you saw the genuine panic that I felt? Because I'm trying to get a, a sense from people exactly why the VIX spiked as much as it did. It's very difficult for me to get a handle on it. It's, it's, it's hard to say where it's coming from. I think it might be the, the Fed raising rates is putting a lot of fear within the market. Well, that's what I think it is, too. You know, I, I don't want it to be that. I know that we had floor report bad numbers today. I know Square, after the close, Sarah Fryer, our favorite, is going to depart. And I start thinking, geez, do I want to own Square down 15? Uh, and I begin to start thinking, you know what, let's not get too myopic. There should be their index fund buying. Maybe you start a little tomorrow. Pick one of these great companies that we talk about all the time and maybe start buying it slowly. That's what we're thinking. Thank you for subscribing and being members of the club. That's my plan. Nothing aggressive. But the time to do the big selling, I think it may have come and gone. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take profits if you've got some. But the idea that to continue to sell after what happened today, that may be ill-founded. We've raised enough cash for action alerts, as you know, that we have to start buying. We can't keep selling. Let's go to Mario in New York, please. Mario. Hey, Jim. Big Staten Island, New York. Booyah. There you go, man. I drive through Staten Island way too much to stop there. Get some that (laughs) clam pizza. What's going on? My wife and I watch your show every day, and we appreciate and thank you for all you do. Uh, Jim, thank, you. About, thank you. Thank you. My question's about Zuora. I know you started to like the valuation in the mid-20s. Considering that the lockup expiration period ended yesterday, and we saw about triple the average daily volume, while today we saw the stock sell off on just average volume, but bouncing off of its lows, do you think that I could start averaging in my position? Mary, that's a good question. See, because Teen Su is doing a fantastic job. Zora is a subscription economy. It's a great book. The problem is, is that right now, the first thing that's going to bottom are the Verizons and the Pfizer's. And then the second thing that's going to bottom is probably going to be something like a United Technologies and get that deal closed. Only uh, on the third day, we're going to start seeing FANG stocks bottom. And only on the fourth day are we going to see the speculative tech stocks bottom. Now, believe me or not, I've actually studied these so many darn times. That has been that's been the progression. So Zora's uh, on the fourth day, they said it might be okay to buy Zora. All right, it is scary out there. I know that. I, I, and I'm not saying forget caution, even though the market's down a lot. But I'm also saying, I, listen, I'm seeing some prices. Maybe not in the semis, but in other places where I say, okay, maybe time. Got to do some buying. It's real painful. That's when you buy. I made money tonight. On a day like today, you may be tempted to piggyback on activists as a way to be able to invest. Is that the best plan of attack? I'm going to give you my take. Then Carnival knows how to act in the face of a crisis. I want to sit down with a CEO who's been there, done that, to navigate tough times. All your calls, of course, rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Brutal day, okay? Dow and S&P 500, worst days in February. NASDAQ had its worst since August in 2016. So what's the best plan of attack? When the market goes into a tailspin, you may be tempted to circle the wagons around companies that are being bolstered by activist investors. After all, if uh, very smart, very rich money managers believe in stock, you probably think, why shouldn't you? Think companies like PPG, Campbell Soup, and Starbucks, especially since the uh, first two actually managed to rally today. Yesterday, Tryon, the hedge fund uh, that's run by Nelson Peltz, revealed that it's built a 2.9% stake in PPG. It's a position uh, mostly put on earlier in the year. Meanwhile, Bill Ackman's Pershing Square tells us that they've accumulated 1.1% stake in Starbucks. 
And Dan Loeb's third point boosted its stake in Campbell's Soup from 5.65% to 6.9%, part of an effort to pressure the company into replacing the board of directors. But listen, and no fault of these gentlemen, but piggybacking on these activists is, is a mistake, unless you really believe in the fundamentals of the company. Hedge fund managers don't work for you, and they have no obligation to tell you when they change their minds. Take Campbell's Soup, exactly the kind of packaged food company that would, should, and could work in this environment. Loeb is engaged in a proxy contest here. He wants to boom the entire board, perhaps to get a sale or break up the business, anything to unlock value. He, he's pro you if you own shares. Anyone who's followed Campbell's knows that this current board has helped to destroy an immense amount of value, as the stock's been one of the worst performers in the food group for over the past decade. When the company sacked CEO Denise Morrison in May, it revealed a totally dysfunctional board that had okayed a strategy to buy anything, some fresh snacks, stuff, you know, like uh, Bold House Farms, uh, snacks, uh, gigantic Snyder Lance, which Campbell's, of course, borrowed $5.3 billion to pick up last year. The deal immediately turned disastrous. Snyder Lance disappointed in the very first quarter after the purchase. Now the company's saddled with way too much debt. I agree with Loeb. I think he's right. Campbell's suit needs a new board of directors, and the company should quickly put itself up for sale. The business has some fabulous brands, but the balance sheet's too painful for me to recommend the stock. As much as I believe in Loeb's ability to affect change, I'd rather just buy a food company that's doing well. How about Bill Ackman Starbucks? The problem here is that I don't think Ackman necessarily has anything to offer. No offense to him, but not really. I mean, I read through his brief. I saw nothing new or revelatory. China should be getting better. U.S. can get better. I mean, all obvious stuff. Listen, I've been saying that Starbucks is turning. The buyback's been aggressive, but even after the stock's 3% pullback today, I worry about Starbucks. The stock, I don't think this quarter will be all that great. So why not be patient? Fourth quarter could be good. Admittedly, Ackman's done well with the restaurant change, but here's the thing. Activists work best when management is doing a bad job. Starbucks is good management. I think CEO Kevin Johnson is slowly but surely riding the ship, doing it the right way. I hope he's just not distracted by Ackman. Long term, I like Starbucks, but right now, they'll be patient. They get a better entry point. How about PPG? Chemical company. Coatings. Frankly, I don't even know what to say about this one. PPG had been a great performer under its former CEO, Chuck Bunch, but it's done nothing since his successor, Michael McGarry, took over, and a lot of the cyclicals have really moved during that period. Earlier this year, the company lost a key outlet for its Olympic brand of paint when Lowe's stopped carrying the stuff. Ouch! PPG had a sloppy accounting scandal. Can't get my arms around it. Monday night, they pre-announced a huge shortfall in paint for automobiles. Now, Nelson Peltz knew Chuck Bunch from the old Heinz Board of Directors. I bet he wishes Chuck were back running things. Peltz is very smart. He's engaged. But I don't think that you can own PPG after such a dramatic shortfall. Even a brilliant billionaire might not be enough to protect his paint and coatings company from a slowing economy. All in all, PPG and Starbucks will succeed or fail based on their own merits. There may be activists involved, but their stories aren't activist-driven. Long term, I like Starbucks. Fundamentals are improving. I'm wary of PPG. Business is deteriorating. Campbell's Soup? Entirely different. It's a speculative play on Dan Loeb's ability to replace the board, make something good happen. Loeb wins, you make money. Loeb loses, you're in trouble. At the end of the day, though, these big-name money managers won't save you from a hideous market. That's not their job. Times like this are when you really need to do your own homework rather than piggybacking. So just keep that in mind the next time you see some stocks surging on a bad day because we've heard about an engaged or active investor getting involved. Stick with Kramer. It is time. It's the labor The light round's over. Are you ready, Skig? It's time for the light round. Let's start with Jace in Illinois. Jace. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. I really enjoy watching it. Thank you. 
I'd like to get your take on ConAgra brands. It's okay, below so they did a huge, they did, the company issued a lot of debt of equity today at 35.25. It spiked at 36.25. This is to get the Finicles deal done. And then it came back to 35. I like the stock. Ah. Call me a buyer. Let's go to Devorah in Minnesota. Devorah. Hi, welcome on the phone from Minnesota. Okay. I'm wondering about Caterpillar. I bought it on your recommendation some time ago. It's gone way up. It's come down a little bit. Is it still good uh, You know, hold? it's neither here nor there. Uh, it, look, if the thing keeps heating up with the chi- with China trade, we're gonna, obviously going to go lower. I think it's a good company. No, no edge right here. No edge. Let's go to Phil in Florida. Phil. Yes, Professor. How are you? I am good. How about you, partner? Uh, hanging in there. Hanging Good. In. Um, okay, we got uh, something here that's not too interest rate sensitive. And, uh, what would that be? Economy sensitive. FireEye. All right, FireEye's right. I mean, we just spoke to FireEye. Unfortunately, FireEye's business is connected with North Korea, Russia, and China. And those three guys are still coming at us with everything they have. That's why I like FireEye. It's a cybersecurity company. Let's go to Mark in Illinois. Mark. Booyah, go Bears, go Ditka. Well, My I have friend. to admit, the Bears have a good team. But this guy, Howard, he's made me two points last week. He cost me the fantasy. Go ahead. Oh, oh he's had a bye. Somebody. He did the best for me on a I bye am. week. Okay, go ahead. I am looking for a high-quality health care stock. Okay. Wondering what you think about Beckton Dickinson and how high you could go. Beckton Dickinson is a company I really like. I don't know. Look, I like Boston. I like Boston's uh, uh, scientific. I like... Uh, you know what? I really like Beckton Dickinson. Let me go back on that. I think Beckton Dickinson is a buy here. I would, if I had to buy 100 shares, I'd buy 25 tomorrow. Literally tomorrow. A lot of people think it's a head and shoulders pattern. I think it's fine. Let's go to Judy in New York. Judy. Go ahead, Judy. Hey, Jim. It's Judy from New York. Okay. I'm a bunny booyah. I got rescue pet rabbits that are little box trained that act like dogs. So I was thrilled. When you mentioned you're going to get another rescue animal. Thank yes, you. absolutely. And we're interviewing we're interviewing rescue animals. Boy, those are tough jobs. Yeah, I like that. LinkedIn. Excellent. I'm going to LinkedIn to find these rescue pets now. Go ahead. Go everywhere. Jim, I need to make some hay. I believe the future is in technology of genetic medicine. So help me with my recent purchase of LOXO. I know it's down 4% today, but even as it's dropping the past few days, a few Wall Street analysts are saying buy or outperform. Hey, Judy, the problem is, is that there are incredibly high-quality stocks that are just down massively today. And I can't countenance that we can buy. I mean, we got some high-quality biotechs that are down big. I got to tell you, I do prefer them. But you know what? I'm never going to say no to someone who wants to do some speculation, provided they know it's speculating. Let's go to Nina in Maryland. Nina. Hi, Jim. Alibaba. What to do now? Uh, Sell, hold, or buy more? No, no, Ali, but no, I'm not recommending any stocks in China. Not when we're having a trade tussle, a trade skirmish, a trade war, a cold war, whatever. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. (laughs) 
on a brutal day for the averages. I want to talk about a group that's been getting hammered for the past few weeks. It's the cruise lines. Take Carnival, CCL. Roughly three weeks ago, the world's largest cruise line reported a solid quarter. Management gave cautious guidance. Stock's been getting slammed ever since. It's down about 12% from its recent highs. Now, there are a bunch of things weighing on Carnival here. Cruise ships consume tons of tons of fuel. So the run-up in oil, even if it abated somewhat today, hasn't been good for the bottom line. But the stock also supports a 3.4% yield, which means it gets less attractive. As long-term interest rates rise, you know, you can get 3.2% from a risk-free tenure. But this company now sells for less than 13 times next year's earnings estimates. It's incredibly cheap if you believe they can even come close to making the numbers. So could it be worth bottom fishing on a high-quality, blue-chip, travel-related entity? Let's check in with Arnold Donald. He's the president and CEO of Carnival. and more about how his company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Donald, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Have a seat. Always good to be with you. All right. Now, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I think you have a lot of perspective. And you've been through some tough times with Carnival, but you turned it around. You get a day like today. Do people's attitudes change toward doing what they do before a big decline? Well, I would hope that one day does not a trend line make. And I know this is mad money. Today was kind of sad money. But, you know, in general, I don't think um, you know, we'll have to see what the markets do. But for our business, for the cruise industry, the reality is, you know, we're global. Right. And, you know, we are a great value, uh, much better value than uh, land-based vacations. And so we're attractive um, in almost any environment. And we sell full. We have no correlation economic trends. Right. None. It's a secular growth trend. Now, you have a terrible hurricane happening in Florida. Now it's the panhandle. I happen to live there. And we know, and you're, you're from the South, you know that this, there are different regions. Right. Th- would this be something that people would cancel the trips for in the Caribbean? No, I don't think anybody would cancel trips. Even okay. last year when the hurricanes were in the Caribbean versus right. the panhandle, they didn't cancel their trips um, unless it was just in a port they couldn't get to to get to the ship. Um, but the reality is that every year there's hurricanes, typhoons, and cyclones somewhere in the world. You know, and we've been in this business for 45-plus years. Um, you know, hurricanes are just something that happens. Right. Uh, we sail to over you know, 700 ports around the world. We have 106 ships. We had two or three ships that has some minor rerouting. But for our business, it's not a major impact. Okay, you've beaten the quarter, quarter after quarter after quarter <laughs> since we see you last, you beat it again. But people are shadow boxing with you. They're saying, listen, there are too many ships coming on. And what will end up happening is, is that you won't be able to charge as much and not that many people will come to Carnival. But that has not been the case. No, it hasn't been the case, Jim. You're right. We set a record in our last quarter, um, the biggest quarter in the history of the company. We've had consecutive years. We raised earnings, um, expectations, et cetera. So all that's true. Our business is very strong. Um, where we do have capacity increases, as we shared in the quarterly call, right. um, in, in many places we have capacity increases. Prices are strong. We're ahead on bookings. So there really isn't a big correlation uh, to capacity either. But there is general concern. Right. So the analysts are concerned that the business is cyclical. Right. And we've been on a run for quite a while, so they're concerned, you know, that we eventually are going to see a turn in the cycle. And then they're concerned that the capacity could help create that. Right. And then they're concerned if they see any slowdown in rate of growth or whatever uh, in yields, which is just ticket price, right. uh, then they get concerned. And so things, things happen. We try to educate. We try to inform. But in the end, we just need to deliver. And if we continue to deliver, eventually the market will recognize the value and reward us for us. Uh, there is a, an issue with fuel. And I also know that the government, you know, there's these new rules about sulfur in 2020. I mean, these are things that seems like they are a burden to any cruise line. 
Well, um, first of all, the general fuel fuel prices go up and down, even though oil companies can't predict fuel prices. Right. And so uh, that's just part of the business. But I think analysts are smart enough to neutralize fuel and currency and see that that's one-time stuff. It can go either way. Concerning 2020, uh, the reality is that more than likely, we'll have to wait and see what happens, right. but more than likely, uh, bunker fuel will become much less expensive. Right. And we've added exhaust gas cleaning systems on our fleet so they can burn bunker fuel and actually put out less emissions than they were burning a higher grade fuel. Okay. And so in the end, we should be positioned if there's a drop in bunker fuel, we should be in position to take advantage of that. And that would be more of a permanent shift in price versus the volatility that you normally get right. with fuel prices. Right. One last question. I have to do it because you're here. It's really okay. important. You've experienced some real crises at your company, and you went right through them. There are people right now at home who are saying, why are we talking cruise? We have a genuine crisis in the stock market. What lesson do you have for people having been through crises that almost no other CEO I know has been through and came out on the other side? I would just say, look, um, you have to look at the fundamentals. And uh, once again, there could be ups and downs and peaks and valleys. But in the end, I always had a strong business to build on. When I came into the job, the business, the foundations were solid. We had passionate employees, 120,000 of them. Guests were having a time in their life on our ships. Our ships were safe and sound. And so that's the foundation I had to build on, and I just built on it. And I, I, I'm not a market expert, right. but I would say, you know, one day does not a trend line make. And the fundamentals in the U.S. economy and the world economy for the long term is what we have to look at. Panic ever helped make a decision better? <laughs> Panic has never helped make a decision better. No, well, you know, I'm glad to have you on the show today because you, you have been, and anyone knows this bad, knows that, you know, we had some accidents, had some tough things, but what a turnaround. And because steady hand and rational thinking and long-term view. That's Arnold Dollings, the president and CEO of Carnival Corporation, a stock that I've liked ever since he became the CEO. May have money's back here for the break. Thank you. I'm not gonna slam guests, but I heard somebody today say that this is like the 1987 crash. Now, I was in cash for that crash. It's one of the ways I made my career. But I've gotta tell you, as bad as it was today, it is nothing like then. That was a mechanical glitch in the market, kind of like when we had the mini crash. Just went straight down. It was the machines talking. Is this like 2007, 2009? No, that was systemic risk. What this is, is a blow off and a crescendo of sell off that we all have to deal with because we have some really big profits and some people want to nail them down before the end of their year and other hedge funds are blowing up and they're getting rid of them. It's our chance to go back to the stocks that we always said, hey, you don't want to pull back, want to pull back, want to pull back, want to pull back. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the pullback. So you got to start small, but you can't keep selling endlessly. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and yes, I will still see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.